It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams, and for the last time in 2022, I am joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, how do you feel, mate, ahead of this this last show of the year? Um, I didn't realize, I didn't quite take in it was the last show of the year until you said it then, and I'm like, oh, that's quite sad. It's been quite fun. Well, I've only been on board for the last six months or so, but I've enjoyed it immensely. Um, to be honest, my mind is consumed by all the million and one things I've got to do before I go home for Christmas tomorrow morning. But this <laughs> show is going to be a nice little departure from all that as well. Yeah, well, we've got plenty to talk about. It's nice to see that Liverpool are now back in action. Mm. Uh, that's the perks of us recording today on a Friday, which is quite unusual for us. Obviously, Liverpool played Manchester City last night, so we're going to speak a little bit about that, talking points around the game and things. And then we can obviously have a look forward to the return of the Premier League. Liverpool have Aston Villa in a few days, so we can speak about that one. You and I are now in charge. Um, but I think we'll start with with just last night, generally. Um, I found it a difficult game to specifically analyse and, and, and be just kind of take conclusions from really, because I, I, I'm in a position where I don't know how much I should take from a game like that. You know, it's the first game in a month. There's a few kids out there. People are getting back to speed. It's a way at the Etihad. Yeah. So I found a difficult one to analyse personally. No, I agree with you. And it's weird because you can kind of say things like that and suddenly get accused of, oh, you're just making excuses, et cetera, et cetera. But the facts are the facts. When there are mitigating circumstances, you have to call them out. You have to recognise them. And the first thing that I thought probably after the first 20 minutes was not only, oh God, another slow start, but we, you could tell that there were, everyone was at different levels of fitness and sharpness. And again, there were players in that team who either aren't used to the partnerships on the pitch that they have been put in, or they're just not functioning as well as they should do. And that dysfunction kind of played out early on, but I think it's a difficult game to analyse for more than just that because I think you can look at that game and say, yes, Manchester City were the better side. They had most of the ball. They had more good chances than Liverpool. But at the same time, I still think that Liverpool caused that team more problems at half pace and half strength than any other team would. And I still think that that's a really important thing to take away. And I think it will be in the back of City's mind as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it was for me. It it was like watching the the Liverpool before the the break of most. I think a lot of the the same issues felt like they were there. Liverpool was still relatively easy at times to progress through. Mm. Um, I don't think the midfield had as much of a presence as you need the midfield to have. Um, but then at the same time, in attack. The attack is kind of that sharp at times that Liverpool can just punish it in any given moment, really. 
And I think performance-wise throughout the game, I think City were the better team. Uh, they posted 18 shots to Liverpool's seven. And their expected goals, I think, was about 2.3. And Liverpool's was about like 0.7. So it was a comfortable win for City, really. But I understand what you're saying in terms of Liverpool did attempt to go toe-to-toe for large periods. Um, did see more of the ball than a typical side against City. Um, had a few kids in there. It's away from home. First game in a month. So it's a weird one. I, I, I didn't feel like I could watch it and think, right, what have Liverpool been working on for the past month? It felt more like a, a tune-up game almost. Yeah. I think in a strange way, it was more concerning because I did know what they had been working on for the last month. Because if you remember back to the pre-season game against Milan, Fabio Carvalho came out and talked about how the counter-pressing and the pressing in particular was something that they were all working on. And at the time, in my mind, I was thinking, hmm, they're probably preparing for Man City even doing that because that was why it was such a focus. And you saw in that first half, they were trying to do it and it wasn't successful. I mean, we had a big debate in the pub during the game about this, about why it seemed like Thiago was the one who was coming out of the line to lead the press and leaving space behind him, which City were able to bypass him and get to. But in terms of what it takes to press successfully, it's more than just the energy to get up to the player. It's the angles you take. It's the decisions you make as you're getting closer when you work out, do you need to block a passing lane or do you need to go tighter and make a tackle? All of these multiple calculations happening as you're running at full speed towards the player. City are so good at working out how to beat press. They are the chess masters because that is what it is when you're pressing. It's a chess game. You're working out where the moves are going to be, trying to be two or three speeds ahead. And City is so good at that. But the reason we had Thiago doing it and not the younger guys is because he know he has it in his head, If they even though they have it in their legs. And so when Carvalho was rushing out there, they were bypassing him quickly. Whereas Thiago, he wasn't getting there either, but he was doing it in a method where you could see, okay, you can see what he's trying to do. So I was a little bit, I can understand the reasoning for why it looked so messy at that point. But by the same token, I do think when you're playing against Manchester City, any weakness you have is exposed, magnified, because they are normally so clinical. And yet, I still think that they weren't as clinical as they should have been. Like they, like you say, they were the better team. They should have put Liverpool away. They had, they were on top for most yeah. of this game. If you think about the games against between Liverpool and City in the last five games where we were unbeaten, the one time that we were really on top in a game, we were 3-0 up at half-time. City have never been more than a goal ahead of us in any of those five games because they seem to let us hang around. And I don't know what it is. I think we are in their head to such an extent that they are they know what they have to do, but they aren't able to do it as clinically as they do against a Leicester and Newcastle or literally everybody else. Yeah, well, you mentioned, you mentioned Thiago there. And obviously, if you look at Liverpool's midfield on the day, it was Harvey Elliott, Thiago, and Besetic as well, as a three. And I hate bringing this up because it feels like a bit of a recurring theme throughout the season, really, and everybody kind of knows it. But if you if you do look at that as a three, and then you think of Jurgen Klopp's game and how you've just touched on pressing this just, just as much about angles and things like that, it's also just plain and simply about legs and being able to actually cover ground and get up and down the pitch. And those three players, 
and, and not runners really. The, all three of them are technicians, I'd say. Um, especially Thiago, obviously, even on Thiago's peak, he's now 31, by the way. But even at his peak, he was never that runner. And I think he can part, form part of a pressing unit. Um, but when he's when, when he's coupled with, with those two, it's just not really a, a, a that kind of midfield. It's it's just it's not a clock midfield. Um, there's quality in there, but in terms of being suited to certain tasks, if you like that that Liverpool want to take out, it's 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 not really what you're after. And, and when that's the case, and you're trying to play a specific way, and you haven't really got the the, the suitable personnel com- completely. You do have um, the, the odd little kind of weakness. And as you say, when you're coming up against Manchester City, they will exploit that. They will find the gaps. Um, and I did I did think that throughout the game, there, there was too many moments where they they were in behind our midfield, at, at, running at the last line. Um, and it's just it's just not really what you want. And if you look at the scoreline, I think the scoreline does us a favour, really, because it's, it's, it, obviously it says 3-2. But I think that we, I think we scored from yeah we scored from our only two shots on target. They both found the net. Um, and if you think of the what what City could have done if they were firing, mm-hmm. City and they weren't firing. They still still got three. So it it in, on another day with the same chances, it could have honestly been like a five nil. You know, like it was. Yeah, and I agree. And I was thinking that in the game. But, and this is the thing, right? We can't discount this but. And I know it feels like I'm trying to overgild the lily here. But we say, oh, yeah, on a different day, they would scored more chances. That's been the same for five games against Liverpool in a row now. So yeah. we can't say, oh, that's a one-off. There must be something about it. And talking about chances, yes, we scored from our only two shots on target. We had a total of seven shots inside the six-yard box. Now, we've spoken on previous game shows about the the quality of chances that Liverpool create and how for too long we're trying to score wonder goals and not really getting into position with our play to get a good shot on target. Yeah, our XG was still only 0.7, but like seven shots inside the six-yard six box is an improvement in terms of where we were previously. The, the six-yard box? Yeah, I'm looking at it here right now on um, sofa score. And it's got <laughs> shots, and there are seven from within the six-yard box. Uh, one from Roberts. Oh no, sorry, I'm reading it wrong. The penalty area. Oh yeah, okay. My bad. My bad. But well, it's still good. It's still good. I mean, there's still more than we were doing before. Like yeah. I say, and um, essentially, Nunes had what four of them and didn't score. Um, Carvalho and Salah obviously scored, and then there's a the one from Robertson, which let's face it, he probably shouldn't have shot. But the fact remains that, with the exception of the Robertson one, I'd say most of those were good quality chances that came from good play. So there are shoots there. I do think against a team other than Man City, we might not have. We might have actually won that game. Yeah, um, we will touch on Nunes. <laughs> he is a sort of <laughs> obviously, as always. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's one of them where. I wasn't. It was. It's a weird one, really weird one. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't that happy with the performance, really. And as I said, it could have been pretty bad. But then at the same time, there's there's massive caveats in there that it was the first game in a month, few kids in there, away at the Etihad. City had a much stronger team than I expected as well. Um, so it's one of them where it wasn't 
great, but I don't think we need to take much from it. Personally, I don't think we need to uh, take definitives from it and start worrying already and like that. I, mm. I, I'm I'm much more focused on Villa as as that will kind of determine in my head what I expect for the rest of the season a lot more than this game will. Oh, I agree. I think in terms of the problems we've had, this game told us what we already knew. And particularly, it's almost for for anyone who's just seen lots of midfielder speculation over the course of the World Cup and kind of forgotten, well, maybe we don't need a midfielder that much. Then saw that game. So, okay, yeah, we do. That's fine. We're yeah, right yeah. back into focus. But yeah, I agree with you. I think the, the players who are going to be playing in against Villa who weren't playing against City, namely Allison, Van Dyke, uh, Fabinho from the start, hopefully Trent as well. That's the team that you want to assess because a Liverpool team going forward is going to have those four players in it more likely than not. So we need to assess how they look with them rather than just in this first game back. Yeah, what I will say as well, just as, a, as like a closing point, I never really like saying this. But I think it could, in a way, if you don't want to look at positively, it could almost benefit us that we lost this game because Liverpool don't have too much depth at the minute, particularly in attack. We've basically got three lads in terms of Firmino, um, Nunes and Salah. And the rest are like second string players who, who should gain minutes here and there, but they shouldn't really be starting. So... If we got through here, it would have been another three games between now and like, I don't know, early February or whatever. Um, and I just don't think Liverpool have the depth at the minute to really compete across multiple competitions like that. Mm. Um, and we're obviously sixth in the Premier League at the minute. And I think the biggest priority between now and the end of the season for me is is just qualifying for the Champions League, really. Um, yep. That's the biggest priority. And I think if we can put more focus on that, I suppose that is a positive, maybe, of losing this game against City. You know, we lost to a top team who are probably going to go on and win a competition. And Liverpool now just have a bit more room to focus on games that really matter. And the likes of Nunes, Firmino and Salah in particular can get some rest because we are quite thin in attack for the next month at least until Jota starts looking at a return. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, we haven't got Firmino either, have we? And Exactly, yeah, yeah. As much as... Um... They were talking about it not being a big one, but uh, I think the quote is big enough for this period, which makes me think that he's not going to be available for Villa, maybe not Leicester as well. So it just makes um, places where we were already thin that little bit thinner. So, And we have to factor in the fact we've still got two Premier League games to try and fit in somewhere in the second half of the season. So, yeah, as much as you never want to lose a trophy in a competition where you're the holders there can be positives to be taken from not having any more League Cup games, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, if we, if we stay on kind of talking points around the game, that one, Nunes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. It's never going to go away. Is it? He's just uh, the, the relentless talking points. I tweeted a couple of weeks back. It's it, it's like a, a weekly episode, and the episode is just called Nunes. And in each episode... It's either an amazing performance, or he headbutts someone, or he, you know, whatever. It's 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 just uh, relentless with the um, the talking points, the narratives surrounding this kid. But what you can't deny is he is just forever involved, isn't he? He's just mm-hmm. always at the heart of everything, um, and that's certainly not a bad trait to have. 
Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, it's not a bad trait to have. And I think... He, we saw within this game what he gives us that no one else does at the moment, and that's a threat in behind. Without Diaz in particular, uh, we don't really have that because of the way the Salah's playing at the moment, and also the fact that Salah's always locked up these days. So if we want someone to have space in behind, a release ball, for example, it's him. And I do think that where he, the, the thing we say, we'll get to the missing of the chances, which is the bit that most people focus on, because that is the biggest thing that he can have to decide a game is scoring goals. But in terms of his movement, in terms of being in position to be have those shots, he is starting to influence the way we play in a positive manner. He's allowing us to be a little bit more adventurous, knowing that there's going to be someone in that area if a ball comes in early, for example. So we're able to take teams like Man City because we were at our most dangerous in that game when they just scored. And that's not something that a team as elite as Man City should ever fall foul to. Yes, you can say they're just getting used to it. But what that means is that we're able to be, as I say, adventurous and take risks in those moments that not a lot of people generally do. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that we're now getting used to him. And I think when you see how his connection with Salah has developed and is still developing, it's got to the point now where that positive can potentially be so big that it does mitigate a lot of the things that are still unright. So, yeah, it's another one of those where you go away from it thinking, God, I wish he'd done X, Y, and Z. But then it's like, but you got to remember he also did X, Y, and Z, which is, you know, Nunes all over. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was a he was a threat the whole game, and as you say, he uh, he's a massive threat in behind. I, I particularly loved the race with Laporte. I think it was Laporte. <laughs> I thought that was great. I think that kind of epitomised one of the real perks of his skill set, really, because considering how tall he is, he just shouldn't really be that fast, no. but he is. You know, he's rapid over over. I mean, it was quite a long distance. Um, so I think that's that's definitely a massive pair of his. And again, in the game, both teams, nobody took more shots than Nunes. So he is that guy. You know, he, he will just hoover up chances. He's a magnet for being in dangerous areas and things. He did register an assist as well. Um, so th- th- this is why it's really weird when it comes to Nunes. And this is why analytics can help specifically with players like him because the eye test a lot of players a lot of people would watch him and think like you know he's a bit of a mess and he's all over the place and if you were to ask most people to be honest like what what did you think of his performance overall if you remove the finishing part you know what did you think of his performance and i think it would probably be quite mixed but then you look in if you if you look deeper and think of the, the danger he caused man city the threat in behind the four shots, three of which are from decent locations, um, and the assist that he registered, 
and you could you could argue that was maybe on a bad day for him. He, he's just his floor is really high, is what I'm getting at. Like yeah. a, a bad a bad performance for him, or a flaw performance for him, is still really dangerous. And I've I've just looked into him this morning, and in all competitions so far this season for Liverpool, he's on nine goals. Gabriel Jesus is on five for Arsenal, and I know he contributes a lot across the board. I'm a fan of Jesus, but what I'm getting at is, in terms of Nunes's flaw, he his floor is still just packed full of threat, and uh, he, he's a, for that reason he's a really difficult player to analyse. And until he starts banging him in every single week, I, I do think he will be that player who kind of not splits the fan base, but he, he he is prone to that sort of debate. Yeah, and I think we've seen it with strikers in the past who have everything but the finish. Uh, I think back to the, the period of time when Emil Heskey was struggling for Liverpool, when he was still contributing loads to the game plan and to the team, but he wasn't able to do the one big highlight part. And the problem is when you're a striker, those are the bits that stick in people's memories. Because as I said, they're the biggest deciders between the results. So you can be a forward and you can do all the the things right. And you can get a pat on the back from your manager and your teammates saying, you're helping us do what we need to do to win games. But if that one big important bit is missing, then it's always going to be with a caveat, with an asterisk, with a but. And I think part of his problem, particularly in this game, with the shots, was that they were all so similar and he missed them all in exactly the same way. Yeah. And between those three shots that all went past the far post, it wasn't like they were getting closer. If anything, the opposite. Yeah. So you look at that and you think, well, is he going to get it? But I still think he is. And I don't know if this is just, you know, dumb optimism. But I do still think he can get to a point where he's not having to think about it. He can just finish. And we've seen people who at times look like poor finishers turn into good finishers at short periods of time. I think Raheem Sterling. I think Bobby Firmino. There's times when you don't back him. And then there are times when you just know he's going to score. And I think Nunes can get into that streak as well. Yeah, Luis Suarez as well comes to mind with that. I think when Suarez Mm. first comes to Liverpool, he seemed a bit all over the place. And then out of nowhere, his end product just receives such a boost. Um, so yeah, it, I think I've I've said this a, a number of times over the years on this show, but and it really conflicts with like traditional a, a traditional perspective on the game. But when it comes to these these players, we we should really do as much as we can to to not judge them based on the goals and the finishes. And we should judge them just as much on their tendency to get the shots and and get in those positions and, and things like that. Um finishing is just kind finishing just kind of happens. It's just it's such a fickle, volatile skill. Um it's 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 difficult to repeat mm-hmm. and things like that. Players go through peaks and, and troughs and things and it just kind of happens. And as you say, is shots on the day. I think, I think the reason all of them happen the way they do, for a start, is because he's aiming for the corner. I think if he if he wants to hit the target, he does, but he probably just the goalkeeper probably just saves it. So I think in all three situations, he's aiming for the far corner, 
He just hasn't been able to execute that. And I think if you were to give him basically an identical shot, but in the left channel rather than the right channel, in which he can then side foot the ball into the corner rather than using his, his laces, I think he probably yeah. hits the target and probably finds the net. But I think the fact that he's right-footed and all the shots came on the right through the right channel, really, and he's using his laces, it, it is really easy to drag to drag those shots. Um, so I felt sorry for him in a way, and it was just unfortunate that he didn't get any of the shots down the left um, because those are much more suited to a right-footer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was Again, that was something that we were discussing while the game was going on, that, that whole idea of how the inverted wingers has become the norm now. So people are more used to being on the opposite side to their dominant foot than the other side. So opening your body up and curling it into the far corner feels a lot easier than just shooting across the goalkeeper into the far corner. And those little things, like you say, they make a lot of difference. Um, a confident, comfortable striker would maybe by the second or third try to chuck in and get it onto that side. But again, I think when you're under the scrutiny that he's under and you miss a first couple of shots where you're in your head thinking, oh, I probably should have scored those. Like you say, he's now trying to be super precise and get it right in the corner. And I don't know, maybe sometimes you can't think about it too much. And I always think about what strikers on TV say, pundits, go back to what you were saying before about it's more important to be in the position than to focus on what happens when you're in that position. The people have done the job at a high level. They say that. They're probably no better than we do. The management who are keep picking him week after week despite these chances, they think that too. They know better than we do too. So I think we should probably just kind of go with it on that one. Yeah. I mean, if, if we was to look at the numbers and apply the numbers to this case, um, we'll do like a bit of an exercise now. So for, for people who are, who are tuning in now, have a think about what you've seen from Nunes in the Premier League and the Champions League so far this season. And would you expect him to have scored more or less than expected based on the finishing that you've seen? And the answer is he's bang in line with expectation. He scored pretty much bang on the number of goals he's been expected to score in terms of the, the, the shot locations and things like that. So he's not really underperforming. He's not really overperforming either. Um, and a lot of that stems from the number of chances he's getting. Eventually, they, they, they go in, basically. Um, and that's just kind of how it works. Last season, we obviously talked up his numbers for Benfica because they were, they were very good. You know, he converted to a high level in the Premier League, in, in the uh, Premier League in Portugal and the Champions League. He overperformed expected goals by about 10 goals. So he looked like a clinical marksman. And I tweeted last night that across Europe's top six leagues, of all the players with 55 shots or more, excluding penalties, he placed top of the whole of Europe's top six leagues for conversion. I think he converted 27.2% of his shots into goals. Wow. Um, and for a bit of perspective on that, I think Jota... Salah and Mane were all like between 18 and 15% conversion. Nunes were up at 27%. So we we looked at that as, um, you know, he's clinical. 
mm-hmm. and he, he still might be. I still think he's he's got that in. But then now that we've got some more data um, from Opta, if you look at the season before at Benfica in the Europa League and the Portuguese Premier League, yep. he underperformed by three goals. So what that what what all of that kind of says is above all else. Finishing just goes up and down, really. It's, yeah. it's, it's an unpredictable... Uh, you have to separate the outcome of the shot from the shot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's just that the finishing part is just... Uh, it's almost look at a draw at times. It's that, it's that kind of um, unpredictable. The other thing as well, we have two other things about him. One, he's still only 23. I think that's another thing that's important to remember. And two... When you're looking at a striker's performance and efficiency, so much is dependent on the team around him. And you look at the Benfica team last season and the way that they were humming, particularly towards the back half, the second half of last season. That was a team where everybody knew everybody's tendencies. They were able to work seamlessly and almost instinctively. And you can't underestimate the difference that makes in a player's confidence and calmness in front of goal. And those are the two things that you think he's missing right now. So as much as there are things that he needs to improve, I think if the situation around him does improve, then that's another thing I think we'll see him get better. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah, one of the other areas in terms of numbers that I did look at in the summer when Liverpool signed him was his ability to find a target was also quite prominent. Um, so when I looked at it, he posted a total of 85 shots in the Portuguese Premier League last season. Um, and he hit the target with 44 of them. So that's a shots on target percentage of just over 51%. Um, again, for using Salah, Luis Diaz, Sadio Mane and Jota, they all found the target about 36% to 38% around that. Nunes up at 52, really. Um, wow. And across Europe's top five leagues, um, only a select few players took more than 50 shots and found the target with 50% or more of them. Um, some of them, Neymar, Martin Terrier, Moussa Diaby, Memphis Depay, Vinicius Jr., um, Wesson Ben Yedder, Juan Mi, and Son Hyung Min. Just a few random names, really. But um, what the numbers do kind of say, certainly based on last season, is when Nunes is kind of in flow and when he's like composed and maybe he's, he had been at Benfica for a year by this point already, yeah. he's just, he, he is cold as in. He, he, he's completely, he, he can be ruthless, he can be clinical. But maybe this is a bedding in period. Maybe this is overthinking maybe this is getting used to you basically having less time and space maybe in English football 
potentially, but whatever it is, I don't think Nunes is a bad finisher. I've watched a few games with my dad so far, and he's he's made a few points. Like he's the kind of striker who needs loads of chances to score. And I'm not I'm not sure he is. I know he looks like that now, mm-hmm. so far at least. But I don't know if he is yet, because certainly based on last season, he wasn't that. So it's it's one we just need to give time. I think it's it's a difficult one with Nunes because based on looking at you know his career in the past and things like that, we don't really have that much data on it because he's played for Penarol in Uruguay, Almeria in the Spanish second division. So we don't have that much evidence that he's good or bad when it comes to finishing or, or whatever. Whereas with someone like Lionel Messi, for example, you have years and years of evidence there to suggest yeah. that he's ridiculous when it comes to putting the ball in the net. So. I think as well, the, the, the point you made earlier is about even while he's working it out, he is still a high threat. So it's not like he's ever useless while he's on the pitch. And which means that hopefully he will get the time to figure it out and to develop. Obviously, I think to a certain extent as well, scrutiny, the different level of scrutiny that he's under now compared to Benfica. When you're at Benfica, you can kind of wear a bad performance probably a little bit easier because, well, you're more likely to still be in and around the title scenario, even if you play badly once or twice over the course of a season. With Liverpool, particularly the way we are now, particularly the fact that he's come in and immediately had to take a probably a larger slice of the burden goal scoring than he should do simply because of who we else who else is out so you add all those things into the mix and you can see how we get to where we are i'm still in the position where i'm thinking yes he can still get there but it's a tricky one it really is because sometimes you can look at a player and think I saw him be good there, so I know he's got it in him to get back to that place. And there are some times when you see a player and you think that, and then you realise you've been saying that for two years. And then you start <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he actually going to get there? I, am I am I believing, or am I looking at a player who is no longer there and not really able to see the player who is there now? Which I feel like might be a good segue into the next guy we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next talking point. Is on Joe Gomez. Um, obviously, he he started against Manchester City, and I don't think he played well. Um, and to be honest, over uh, since his return, really, I think he's had more of these than good performances. Really, don't want to be too critical on him. Obviously, we we touched earlier on why this is the kind of game that's difficult to take defensive conclusions from but I don't really feel like this is that that, that this is just based on this game it's it feels like it's happened quite a lot and for me it, I think it's quite obvious I think it's just uh, I think he's seriously lacking confidence basically it, look, it looks that way anyway because he's, he's hesitant in certain moments doesn't look um wholly committed in certain actions because he's reluctant or something so it, and I think when you're in the flow and you just everything's a breeze and, and everything's going right, you just do all that on autopilot, and it, it's like he's uh, questioning himself almost, and it's 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 a shame because when he's at his best, he's genuinely one of England's best centre halves. Agree, and okay, full disclosure, I I am a big fan of Gomez. I have been for since he first came into the team. Um, he's from the same part of the world as me, so. I've always kind of had a bit of an affiliation for him 
Some people call it a blind spot. Uh, but it does make it harder for me to assess him because I want him to succeed. So I wouldn't say I want him to succeed more than I want any other Liverpool player to succeed, but I feel it more when he doesn't. And so it's harder for me to assess him fairly. And I've been trying to do that. So normally I would accentuate the positives in this game and say that when he moved to right back, his game did improve. But I agree with you to say that the problems we saw last night were not isolated instance. If you look back to all of the games where he's been bad, and I mean bad not in terms of just underperforming slightly, but actually bad, I think Napoli away is one of them. I think you see a lot of similar signs where in the first instances, early on in the game, he doesn't feel prepared. He doesn't feel ready. He doesn't feel like he's able to do with everything. And I do think you're right in saying it comes down to confidence. Confidence in his own body. I really do think this is the root of it all. We talk mm. about, it's impossible to talk about Joe Gomez without talking about the injuries that he's already overcome. The problem with that, though, is that he's now not as confident in his ability to do the things he used to do. So he's second-guessing himself. Can I get there? Should yeah. I try and get there or should I try and stand off? And you can literally see that happening in his mind. The problem is when you're at top-level football, that's all it takes, that little second of indecision. And an opponent will see it and they'll stamp on it. And I think it's got to the point now where teams are maybe expecting it. Teams are maybe game planning for it. And that's when you get to the point where it becomes a real problem. And I love Joe. I really do, as I said before. I think that when he's next to Virgil, that confidence is a little bit higher. When he's next to Matip or Konate, and well, less so Konate, when he's next to Matip in particular, you sense that he feels the burden to be the dominant defender, to be the dominant centre-back, to do all of the Van Dijk things, the organising, the pressing up high and meeting the ball, all of those things. But it's still not natural to him. And he add that into all of his own second guesses about his own play, and it kind of manifests itself in the performances we're seeing now. I think there's a noticeable moment in the game where Matip basically takes over the lead. And you notice it from the point of view of he's the one who's setting the line. He's the one who's coming out to meet the ball. And once Nat Phillips comes on and Gomez moves to right back, like I said, his performance improves because he's only just thinking about his man. He's not having to think about the whole structure in the same way. And it's a real shame. Because like I say, I think back to that 1920 season, I think he was going to be okay. He was going to be make sure Liverpool's defence was okay for years and years and years to come. But I'm not sure now. I'm really not sure now. And it breaks my heart to say it. Yeah. I mean, in, in his defence, what I will say is that the game that you pointed out then, which also came to mind for me, you said Napoli away. And um, the Maybe there's a recurring theme there with them when it comes to when the the midfield in particular is is wide open and he's got less protection and Liverpool and easily progressed through. He struggles more potentially, mm. and obviously you're going to get progressed through when you're facing Manchester City away from home, and you're going to get progressed through when you're playing against Napoli, especially when you don't have a midfield and Liverpool don't have a midfield at the minute. So I would be curious to see how Joe Gomez looks when he's got potentially, let's say, a Jude Bellingham and a Enzo Fernandez in front of him. I mean, we can all hope, can't we? But whether that'll happen, we don't know. 
Poor I can't Arab... believe we got 39 minutes without mentioning either. <laughs> 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 I know. Um, but yeah, I would be curious to see how we got on, you know, in, in, that, in that kind of situation. Because I do think that our last line in particular this season has been has received so much less protection than in previous years. Obviously, um, Nunes is less um, familiar with our pressing ways anyway from the very front. Diaz, you could say the same. The midfield department is non-existent. Um, and Trent has received a lot of criticism this season. So, in terms of our last line, we they have real, and Virgil as well as Luke Miles off it. So, our, our last line has really been open for exposure this this season and it's it's a shame really and I think Gomez has certainly suffered from it. Um and I think one of the issues he's having at the minute is I think he's he's always really been the least Liverpool's least valuable centre back on the ball in terms of what he offers in possession. Obviously you think of what Van Dyke does with those crossfield diagonals, the ball's over the top. You think of what Massup does with the ball carrying. I thought he was outstanding, by the way, with his, his contribution to Liverpool's first goal yesterday. Um, and I think Canate is certainly growing when it comes to that sort of thing. You think he's getting a bit a lot more prominent when it comes to carrying the ball, passing through the lines and stuff like that. Gomez, I think, is a bit more um, simple on the ball and lets, lets other players shine, essentially. Does yes. the basics. Nothing really wrong with that. Because I think on the defensive side of the game, he's always been kind of an assured presence who is... Who just deals with his one v ones? Um, he's quick enough to occupy the high defensive line, quick enough to cope uh, when he's dragged out wide because he's familiar as a fullback and stuff. So that's always been the way his game has been. But I think at the minute, the current situation he finds himself in is he's Liverpool's least valuable centre back on the ball, out of the four at least, not including that Phillips in that, and he's Liverpool's least. Uh, What's the word? I don't Liverpool's least capable centre back when it comes to defending at the minute as well. So I don't know what it is that I don't know what he needs to get back. I would like to see him with a midfield in front of him, yeah. but it's it's just a shame because I'm similar to you, man. I really like him. I've liked him since his debut, since Rodgers was integrating him as a left back away at Arsenal and things like that, and he was showing what he yeah. was capable of. But you can see it's just a seed of um, self doubt in his head because. You, you, you can. I don't know why, because usually you can determine what's wrong with a player based on you know his numbers or tactics or whatever. But this one just does feel like a. I can pretty confidently say, it's it's confidence, it's self doubt, and I don't really know why I, I'm so confident in saying that, but it it feels like that's what the issue is. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I think when you look at the way it happens, like the, the the indecision around it, and I mean, the personality of him himself being kind of a guy, a quiet, unassuming kind of guy. So when he makes a mistake, he's not the kind of guy who's going to be like, 
ranting and raving or screaming. He's just going to be kind of like head down back to the, the, the halfway line sort of thing. So maybe some of that plays into it as well. But I do think it's a fair point you make about the situation around him needing to improve to see that. But again, this is another player who we're talking about in a very specific situation is still an elite player. But when you add in the fixture list that we've got, the injuries that we've got, those are the problems. We we need players who are good in all situations, not just in very specific ones, because we can't guarantee that they're going to get those very specific situations because of all the circumstances I just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool will need a centre-back at some point soon because Matip's contract is due to expire in 18 months and he's now 31. So in 18 months, potentially he's 33. I'm not sure when his birthday is. But um, I doubt his, he, his deal will get extended. And you obviously have Gomez there who's got some recurring issues maybe when it comes to performances. So Liverpool will need a centre-back sometime soon. Um. It's just going to be interesting to see whether Liverpool sign a player who's going to come in as a potential starter or whether Gomez gets a bit of a boost. Because I think another thing that's questioning Gomez's um, confidence has just been what, watching Canati come in. You know, see, seeing a teammate like that, I can't be good for your confidence because he is, I think Canati's brilliant, mate. I think he's going to be one of the very best in the world. If not, he's that early now, to be honest. Um and I think from Gomez's perspective, to see that when you're coming back from an injury, yeah, it just can't be good, can it? So, no. as I said, I feel sorry for him. Um, but we'll move on anyway to to Aston Villa before we close. Obviously, they have a new man in charge, Unite Emery, who replaced a certain Stephen Gerrard. And what are your thoughts on Emery? Out of interest, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting appointment. I think it's a good appointment from Aston Villa. I think. When you look, it's it's a realistic appointment. It's a recognition of where they are in the English football pyramid. And they've found a manager across Europe who's worked well at that level in terms of Europa League, um, set the bottom half of the top half kind of a team. And I think what he's very good at, and people are going to laugh when I say this, but it's true, because uh, all of his players have said it, communication. Emery doesn't leave anybody in any doubt as to what they are supposed to do to the point of drilling them ad nauseum with the same things over and over and over again. So what you see in him is a manager who has a very clear idea of what he wants to do. And when he has that, and when you couple that with the ability to communicate, that's that's why you see most of teams improve in the short term when he comes into the team. I think he's still got some question marks of him around transfers and spending in terms of that, but that's not going to be a massive issue for Aston Villa because I think that they've done a <clears throat> excuse me, I think they've done a lot of their big spending already in terms of the squad that they've got in. It's just going to be a case of finding the right configuration of those pieces. So I think that they're going to probably be a more dangerous side in the second half of the season than they were first half of the season. And I think that we might get the worst of them because Potentially, he's had quite a while to work on it. Yeah, I think for me, I, I, I do rate him. And I think he's specifically good as an underdog, really, when when he's taking charge of a team the size of a Sevilla, a Villarreal, an Aston Villa, really. So I think it's it's a suitable job for him. Um, what One issue we do have is, across his career, his, his league performances have never been 
particularly outstanding for some reason. Um, he doesn't really tend to overperform in 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 league competitions. It's it's in knockout competitions where he delivers that. And I think at Aston Villa, unless he delivers a strong league performance to get into Europe, his chances to overperform are going to really be in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. So whether that's enough for Villa, I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on in the Premier League when, I mean, squad-wise, would you say Villa are like maybe the 10th best squad in the league? Something like that, 7th to 10th maybe? Yeah, I w- I'd say probably around that. I mean, when I look at the, the team, they had um, a friendly recently against Villarreal. In fact, last I think it was a week ago. And you look at the team, they, they played kind of like their first team for an hour and then they made some substitutions. And you think about the fact that they've still got the goalkeepers to come back in and you look and think there's enough quality players for Emery to kind of hone a really good 11 with maybe two interchangeable subs. Whether or not he's worked that out yet and the team that they played for an hour against Villarreal is going to be the team we see against Liverpool, I'm not entirely sure. But I think that that's something that they're going to be focusing in on. When you look to his record previously, like you say, in terms of league position over um, cups, which is what he's earned his name in, I think what you find in the league, particularly in La Liga, when you're a Villarreal and a Sevilla, there are still lots of games where you're expected to make the play, to dominate the play. And most of Emery's tactics are based around reacting and counter-attacking to a certain extent, rather than forcing the play. And that's where they've fallen down, I think. Also, they've not necessarily been a deeper squad. The Villarreal in particular, I think he was working with a very, very narrow squad. So if you do have injuries and stuff like that, then it has a bigger effect when you can't replace someone with a like-for-like. He may have that a little bit better, as I say, with Villa. So that might be an improvement. But yeah, it remains to be seen how how much momentum they can build. I do think if they get some kind draws, they will be dangerous in the FA Cup, though, for sure. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why over his career he's been good as an underdog, specifically in um, knockout competitions, is because I think tactically he is very, very good, very meticulous. And I think he's good at coming up with these one-off strategies for isolated games. Mm-hmm. And you can do that when you're in knockout tournaments, whereas I think over the league competition, 38 games against really different opponents all the time and things. I think it's a bit more based on like your philosophies almost and you know your consistency way of playing every week, same ways and stuff. Um, but I think that's obviously a threat when it comes to facing Liverpool because they've, mm-hmm. they've had lots of time to prepare for this they can assume the underdog role against a team like Liverpool. And Emery has that opportunity really to come up with an isolated plan, specifically to cause Liverpool problems. He did exactly that, certainly for 45 minutes, in charge of Villarreal at the end of last season. Liverpool haven't really changed that much since then. In fact, we've arguably got worse. <laughs> so it's. I think it could be a, a tricky game back. I don't think it would be straightforward at all. I think it would be tough. I think Villa will be really focused and really tactically drilled as to what to expect and how to cause us problems and things like that. So it's a tough, tough return, really. Um, it is. I mean, when you factor in the fact, Boxing Day, half five, Villa Park yeah. is going to be bouncing. We've been starting slowly. If they get a goal in the first 20 minutes, then it already looks like a massive uphill battle. 
And I go back to that team that Villarreal played, um, Villa played against Villarreal. I look at the midfield three for that game, Douglas Luiz, Bubakar Kamara, and John McGinn. That's a midfield packed with industry, energy, legs, tackling. And not necessarily kind of painting your pretty pictures. They've got Buendia ahead of them to do that and Bailey uh, out wide on the left side. So you think about the midfield issues that we've been discussing earlier on in the game. Obviously, you expect Fabinho, who did look better. I think it's fair to flag that up. Yeah, he does. Expect him to come back into the, the midfield, so that will help. But you look at that and you think that it could be a tough afternoon. Yeah, it could. Um, should we do predictions, considering this first game back? I know. Go on. Um, I think if we can ride out that early period of 20 minutes, as I mentioned, we can get on top. We can silence that crowd. I think, again, taking chances when we get them is going to be key, as I always say. I think we're going to win. I think it's going to be tough, but I think we're going to win. We need to score, Mark. We need to score. Okay. 2-1 Liverpool. That's not a cheerleading score, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, look, it's, look, we deal in realism on this show here, Josh. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, I can see a draw, to be honest, and I don't want to say that, but I can. Um, I think it'll be a score draw, if, it, if anything. Maybe one or maybe two or. Mm. But I think if Liverpool win, I would go with you, but I would say 2-1. Um. But I'm really intrigued to see what we see because obviously a lot of my prediction there is based on the first half of the season and technically things should be very different now moving forward. We've got the same group of players, of course, but apart from a few returns in midfield, um, Villa have got a new coach. So it's a difficult one to predict, really. It's almost impossible, to be honest, but I just think this could be a tough game and I just hope Liverpool are a lot better than what we saw first half of the season because if we play like we did the first half of the season for the second half I'm really not sure we'll get top four um, I hope we do but you know I mean if 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 that is the case that we're relying on other teams getting worse and taking points off of each other which yeah. could happen but you absolutely don't want to be in a position where you're having to rely on other people particularly when we've been as good as we have been as recently as we have been I think we will be better. When you look back at the second half of the season in May, I think we'll have picked up more points and we'll per game and look better than we did in the first half. Whether that's going to come in the first two or three games, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting one to follow. But Mo, thanks for joining us, mate, for the last episode of 2023, 2022. Sorry, it's been <laughs> uh, getting ahead of myself there. It's been a pleasure it's been a to. Uh, it's been a pleasure to get you involved, mate. Thank you very much, man. Genuinely, I want to say thanks to everybody who has embraced me coming onto this show. I know it's been a, a long, successful show before I got here, uh, and I've had loads of fun doing it, and I look forward to doing it a lot more next year. Yeah, we look forward to. Um, Mo, have a good Christmas. You too, Listeners, mate. have a good Christmas, and we will see you in 2023. <laughs> You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.